Hey, we're going to finish up a series today that uh, we began a few weeks back. It's called Weave, and it is a series that has been taking us and looking at little snippets in the life of Joseph. And we've been looking at his life because it, it mirrors feelings and emotions that we often have. We might have never been thrown in a pit or been sold into slavery by our brothers. At least I don't think anybody perhaps here has. But we understand the emotions of abandonment. We understand what it feels like to have family whom we care about and who we love say, you know what, I don't want to be with you anymore. In fact, I want to have another family. We, we understand that kind of emotion. We understand what it means to have great plans and dreams and and think that we know exactly where we're going and what we're going to achieve, only to have everything, it seems, fall apart just when we had it in the grasp of our hands. We understand that. We understand those emotions. We understand what it means to, to be wrongly accused to have others speak ill of us, to, to say that, that we have said something that we did not say, that we did something that we, we did not do, and we want to be able to defend ourselves, and we want to be able to shout to the rooftops and say, it wasn't me, can't anybody believe me? We know what that emotion feels like. And so even if we haven't experienced the exact same life experiences that Joseph had, we've lived in his emotions. And they have been a big part of our lives. And so we said something the very first week as we began this study. We said, in God's hands, intended evil becomes eventual good. Because we felt that it was something that we needed to remind ourselves of. That during those times in life where it seems that everything is against us and that all evil is standing at our door. That those things that were intended to be evil, that God actually does work in the midst of that for eventual good. It is something that happens. It is something that takes place. And it wasn't just an idea that, that I came up with. It wasn't just something that, that you thought of. Instead, it was something that we got from Joseph. Where he would look at his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and say, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And the words that he used there, at their root, when he talks about being intended, it's a word that means to weave. And so he says, listen, you tried to weave harm into my life. But you didn't know that God was standing just on the other side of that pit. You didn't know that God was on the other side of the pit. And he intended to weave something good in the midst of this. It wasn't, it wasn't that, that you were in control, but that, that God was in control of the whole situation. And he saw your actions, and he said, you know what? I can use this. I can use this for my people. I can use this for even you who are trying to do evil. It'd be great if we could have that kind of perspective. Great if we could put that very idea into our life to say, you know what? Every time there is failure, every time there is something that goes against us, those times when, again, it seems like we try to succeed, but we only end up failing, and that everyone around us wants our failure, that we could say, you know what? God's just on the other side of the pit. And he is weaving, and he is working in my life. 
and he is working for my good. In our study, we also said that we will never go where God is not. We can't. Wherever it is that you are headed this week, God has already been there. And God knows what is on your agenda. God knows what's in your calendar. And he knows what's going to happen at the office tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in the classroom on Thursday. He understands what goes on in the doctor's office on Wednesday. You cannot go anywhere where God has already not been. And so as Joseph would go from his home to the pit to being sold into a life of slavery and end up in the foreign land of Egypt, even though he was far from family and even though he was far from all the comforts of home, he was never far from his Creator. And so we were encouraged as we looked at Joseph's life to remember that also God is truly with us. That was the purpose of Jesus, was it not? So that we might be able to remember that in the midst of all the darkness that we see, that there is a light. And that light has a name. It is the name of the very Son of God who is here, who is present, and who is powerfully acting still in our lives. And so we go to work tomorrow unafraid. We walk into the classroom singing, bring it on! We go into the doctor's office saying, Doc, great to see you. Because we know that God is already present. We will never go where he is not. And while we're in the midst of uncertain times, and while we are living through difficulty, we're reminded when looking at Joseph's life that we need to do what pleases the Lord. When the opportunity comes to choose between right and wrong, when the opportunity comes to choose heaven or hell, when it comes time to make decisions, it's simple as this. You do what pleases the Lord. It's not about what will please grandma, even though you better be pleasing your grandma. It's not about what's going to make my parents happy, what will make my children happy, what will make the elders of the church happy. It's about what pleases God. What make God happy? What is it that will bring joy as he looks at your life and the decisions that you make? Joseph had a decision to make that he could on the spot decide, you know what, I'm in Egypt, I'm, in Egypt. I'm going to live like the Egyptians. I have this opportunity to give in to my lust and passions. I have this opportunity just to do whatever I want to do because I'm away from home. I'm away from family. I'm away from church. Nobody's going to know. And he says, how can I do this thing? And sin against God. Do what pleases the Lord. Even when you are in the foreign place. Even when you think nobody else would care. God's already been where you're at. God already knows the situation that you're in. So when it comes time to make the hard decision, make the one that pleases the Lord. And understand that even if the decisions that you make set you at odds with your community, set you at odds with your family, set you at odds with those whom you care most about, that while you are waiting, God is working. Joseph made the right decision, and because he made the right decision in not taking Potiphar's wife for his own pleasure, he ends up being put into prison. And there he just sits and waits for years. Even though he is able to have friends there that 
he thinks he can confide in, people who he thinks will help him, even though the Lord is with him in the midst of the prison and he's able to even achieve a, a sense of authority there. He still languishes there in prison, waiting and waiting, and yet all through the midst of it, God turned out to be working. Maybe it's one of the most important things you have heard as we've gone through this study. As you are sitting there in the midst of your singleness, and you want more than anything for the right person to come along, while you're waiting, God's working. Don't try to outrun God. Maybe your singleness is not something that you desired. Maybe it was something that was forced on you by your spouse. And all this time now you've been sitting and you've been waiting and you've been trying to figure out your new normal. You're in the prison that is being divorced. While you wait, God works. You're waiting for your family to increase and grow. While you wait, God works. You're waiting to hear the results of the medical exam, but while you wait, God works. You're waiting to hear if you're going to be making the team or not. While you wait, God works. And as He works, as you are able to watch in the life of Joseph, it's not always that God works so that the prison doors fly open immediately. It's not that all of a sudden there's going to be that relationship, that there's going to be the money in the bank, that all of a sudden everyone is going to appreciate you and, and that you are going to be the one that makes the team and that you are going to be the one that is truly the standout. That's not how he works necessarily. But he weaves. He weaves those things that are bad. He weaves those things together that are good in order for your life to be something that brings honor and glory, not to you, but to him. You see, I think that's one of our problems and why it's been so important to look at Joseph's life. We begin to realize that our lives are not about bringing honor and glory to ourselves. Joseph, in the beginning of the, his story, he begins to tell all of his dreams to his brothers. And his dreams are about how that one day the brothers are going to bow down to him. And he thinks that's really cool. And those of you who have older siblings, just go ahead. And the next time you're sitting around the dinner table with him, say, you know what? I'm pretty sure in 20 years, you're just going to bow down to me and you're going to bring me all your possessions. And you're going to say, hey, you can have my Xbox and you can have my car. And, and why don't you have my boat? And, and anything that I have is yours. Go ahead and try that. And um, then I'll see you at sports medicine a little later on in the day. And, you know, Dr. Robertson will help get you a cast and we'll, we'll get everything fixed. It just doesn't work out very great, you know? But it's not about our life and it's not about glory for us. Instead, it is glory for God that while we wait, God works. And so real quick, as we wrap this up today, let me give you the the last principle that I want us to remember, and it's something that, that we've already been talking about, the fact that the prince is your brother. According to Genesis chapter 45, when the brothers of Joseph arrive in Egypt, they have come because there's famine in their home. There's famine in their land, and so they have traveled some two months to be able to make it to Egypt where they have heard that there is grain. They, they have heard that there is food. And they come and they're brought before the second in all of Egypt. They don't recognize the man who is dressed as the Egyptians dress. 
They don't see through the makeup. They don't see through the clothes that it's someone who bears a striking resemblance to their father. All they see is a man of power. All they see is the man who is able to decide, will your family starve or will your family be able to eat? And so they bow down, face to the ground, begging, pleading. But I don't think there was a day that Joseph didn't think of the faces of his brothers. That he didn't wonder what was taking place back in their home. That he did not pray about his father. And so as Joseph looks out and he sees these men who have come before him. As he hears their plight. As he, as he understands the opportunity that he has. In Genesis 45, at the beginning of the chapter, it finally says that he could just no longer restrain himself. And he buries his hands, or he buries his face in his hands, and he just begins to heave with emotion. And he weeps so loudly and so strongly that word makes it all the way back to Pharaoh that for some reason Joseph is upset. And he just cries and cries until he finally is able to blurt out, I am Joseph. And then he asked this question. Does my father still live? Does my father still live? For over two decades, he's been separated from his family. And even though he's been separated, he remembers his father. He remembers the one who had showered love upon him. He remembered the one who had given him that robe that had caused so much envy. And so he looks out and he says, listen, it's me, I'm your brother. Tell me about my father. Is he still alive? And 11 throats gulped and 22 eyes widened, I'm sure, to the size of saucers. I'm sure they could hardly believe their ears. Listen to how it plays out here in the text. His brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. But God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt, so come down immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near with all of your children and grandchildren, all your flocks and herds, and everything you own, and I will take care of you there. And Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin that, I, that I'm really Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything that you have seen. And then bring my father here quickly. 
And weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after, they began talking freely with them. Can you picture it all? Can you picture the tension? Can you picture the way the brothers felt as they're wondering, what is going to happen to me now? How is the vengeance going to come? Where am I going to be buried? What is going to happen to me? And Joseph, just in all of his emotions, says, look, I want you to go and get my father. I want you to bring all the herds back. We're going to get you a place to stay. We're all going to be near each other. We're going to sit around the table. We're going to be one big family again because this was God's plan. And the brothers began to slowly realize that maybe perhaps they were out of danger. The famine still raged and the fields still begged, but circumstances, they were still hostile, but they were finally safe. And they would make it through what had brought them to Egypt, not because they were good men, but because they were family. And the prince was their brother. You know, you've heard Jesus described as King and Savior and Lord. But have you ever thought of him as your brother? Have you ever thought of him in that family way? You see, that's biblical language. On one occasion, Jesus was talking with his followers and his mother and earthly brothers came to the door and they wanted to see him. And Jesus used that opportunity to say, listen, here my mother and my brothers, but whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's saying, listen, my family is larger than what you understand. It's bigger than what you can see. And there's a relationship that we have. Hebrews 2 and verse 11 says, Jesus who makes people holy and those who are made holy are from the same family. So he is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. Jesus redefined what it meant to be a part of the family and, and redefined what it meant to have a relationship with him and to be near him. And if you think about the account of Joseph, think about the similarities. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, and Jesus is called the beloved son of God. Joseph wore a coat of many colors, and Jesus did many wonders. Joseph fed the nation, and Jesus fed the multitudes. Joseph prepared his people for a coming famine, and Jesus came to prepare a people for eternity. Under Joseph's administration, the grain increased, and in Jesus' hand, water became the finest wine. And a basket of bread was able to feed thousands. Joseph responded to a crisis of nature. And Jesus responded to one crisis after another. He told typhoons to settle down and waves to be quiet. He commanded cadavers to stand up and the crippled to get up and dance a jig. He told the mute that they needed to start singing songs. And guess what? The people hated him for it. Joseph was sold by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus raked in 30. Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Jesus was condemned and nailed to a cross. Joseph's brothers thought they had seen the last of him, and the soldiers were sure that the grave would hold Jesus. But Joseph resurfaces as a prince, and Jesus does the same. While his killers were sleeping and his followers wept, Jesus stood up from the slab of death and he unwrapped his burial clothes and he stepped out one Sunday morning into a sunrise. 
And just as Joseph was given a promotion, Jesus too was given a place of honor. Where God raised him, it says in Ephesians 1 and verse 20, raised him from death and set him on a throne in the deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no names and no powers exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, and he has the final word on everything. Do you get that? That your brother has the final word on everything that takes place? The final word on what's going on in your relationship. The final word about your finances. The final word about your health. The final word about who you see yourself to be. Jesus is the one, our brother, that says, I have the final say. And so maybe you're experiencing famine. Maybe you're the one that's seeking anything that will feed your soul. Your brother says, come to me if you're weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Just as Joseph was able to speak to Pharaoh on the behalf of his family, Jesus speaks to our Father. We have an advocate, 1 John 2 and verse 1 says. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Joseph gave his brothers wagons and robes, and your brothers promises to supply all your needs according to his riches. God is doing in our generation exactly what He did in ancient Egypt. He's redeeming a remnant of people. And there's this picture that's painted at the very end of your Bible that I want you to listen to, where it says, A great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, they're crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is the dream that drives the heart of God, that He will have all of His sons and daughters from every corner of the earth, no matter what they have endured, no matter what they have gone through, no matter their life experience, that they will have them in one place, in one time, surrounding the throne and praising their brother. His purpose from all eternity was to prepare His family to indwell the kingdom of God. The monkey might not be your uncle. Or you might have an uncle who acts like a monkey. But the prince is definitely your brother. And so you will get through this. Whatever this is. Whatever this is that only you know about. Whatever this is that you've been praying for this morning. Whatever this is that has been keeping you up. Whatever this is that has driven you to to come up to me already during the last few weeks and say thank you. Thank you for the message from God that you're bringing. You will get through this. These years of being a widow. You will get through this. This time it seems separated from loved ones. This time in the pit. This time in the prison. It will not be painless. It will not be painless. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. He said, but but don't be afraid. Don't worry. Because I have overcome the world. There's going to be times of sadness and heartache. You will stand over empty graves. 
You will experience pain that will bring you to tears and drive you to your knees in prayers that you have never prayed before. And it will not be quick. It's not something that you're just going to walk through. It's not something that you can sprint to the end of. For you, it might end up being the marathon. For you, it might be something that never ends until the final time that you take your final breath. The healing that you so long for is something that might be reserved for the very presence of God. The reunion that you want to see take place is something that might not happen on this side of eternity. It will not be quick, but you will not be alone. You are surrounded by your brothers and sisters. You have the encouragement of your family. And you have the prince as your brother. You will get through this. Not because you are strong, but because your brother is. Not because you are good, but because your brother is. Not because you are big, but because your big brother is the prince. And he, working with the Father, is creating a masterpiece that is your life. Enjoy the following. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that He will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece. His masterpiece. Your life is his masterpiece. As he weaves what was intended for evil 
with eventual good. So when you walk through the waters, you have someone walking with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, the waters won't get up above your head. When you go through the fire of oppression, you're not going to be burned up. The flames are not going to consume you. God says, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Maybe you need to come to that Savior today, allowing Him to weave into your life the love that He so longs to give. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ this morning, if you'd like to come asking for for prayers, for something specific that is happening in your life, whatever your need might be. Bring all the pieces and allow the master weaver to create a masterpiece in your life. Let's stand and give him praise.